Brother Mike Martha was telling me that um, there was a lot of music today in the church. And there was. And I pray there will be more and more as the days go by. Amen? Amen. Beloved, from Sabbath school, we're looking forward. I was affirmed by the elders of this church telling me, Pastor, let's get members of our church, young and less young together, have a praise team at Sabbath school, begin with song service. In between, we will be seeing a lot, I hope, a lot of praise teams of you coming together with the hymns of the church, with the pianos of the church, a guitar or two. And let's, that's, that's not the only instruments, but let's have music in the house of God. Amen? And let's rejoice on it. Let's be happy in the Lord, caused by His Holy Spirit. Not about personality, not about big egos. It's about Jesus. Amen? We want to sing to Him. We want to praise His name. We want to rejoice over that. And it's with that in mind that we're looking for this miracle. I cannot resist asking my brothers and sister. There's a whole pew of new friends that I have not met or seen before. And I need you to help me with my memory. My sister, you're smiling, so you're in that pew. Would you start helping me out? Oh, can you... Oh, man, do we have that? It's all right. Don't worry. I learned something. I learned something with my friends from uh, Congo, too, that in Congo, you don't have a last name. You have a middle name, and that's your. So three brothers could have three different last names for us, but that's, but that's another culture issue. We'll talk. We'll learn more. So our brothers and sisters from Congo, you see this other family that lives in Oshkosh now. My brother Innocent, he's 21. He lived in a refugee camp from 5 to 21. Because of the civil wars that are taking place out there. Many lives, and we don't want to go there, have been lost. Because of the problem of, in the heart of humanity. But I'm so glad for our brothers and sisters that are here today. Instead of, we had this problem, at least in the past, not here, that we ask our guests to stand up. But they won't have to do that. Would you, out of love for Jesus, out of love for my brothers and sisters, those of you who can't stand, would you stand and by that be telling them, Brothers and sisters, we love you. We welcome you. And we're happy that you're here today. Would you do that? Look to them, wave your hands, give them a big smile, and let them know we're happy that they are here today. Amen? Amen. Thank you, brethren. Please be seated. You see, I remember the old days we had someone come. We call them visitors. We call them guests. And we still ask them to stand up before everybody. They were sweating bullets. I mean, that was torture. How different. Instead of putting them in the spot, let's take it ourselves and let them know we're happy you're here. We love you in Jesus. Amen? 
We got to get into our sermon. Was I close to the five minutes in the children's story? Close? Okay. All right, because last one really went long. So let's pray so that I can stay focused. Dear Jesus, how wonderful to know that your family around the world can sometimes meet in one place being represented, in this case by our brothers and sisters from Congo. We lift them up before you, Lord, and we ask that not only them, but us as well, just now, would you again, Father, baptize us anew with your Holy Spirit. We pray in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Am I being heard or this is just for the recording? Okay. Just want to make sure there. People tell me I don't need a microphone. Our scriptures today tells us in Revelation, talking there in the 20th chapter, that these men, these women who were blessed to take part in the first resurrection have become what for God? Did you notice? I'm sorry? Priest. I like my translation when it says there, they shall be priests of God and Christ and shall reign for him a thousand years. Wow. I can't wait for that. Turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 19, please. Using the same language. Deuteronomy chapter 19. Let's go there as fast as we can. Deuteronomy chapter 19. And it's not a coincidence, but there, uh, verse 6. Deuteronomy 19, verse 6. This is God speaking to his people, to Israel, as they had come out of Egypt. Deuteronomy chapter 19, verse 6, it says, Lest the avenger of blood, while his anger is hot, pursue... I'm sorry, brethren. It's not Deuteronomy 19. It's Exodus chapter 19. I guess I'm too excited this morning. Can you bear with me? Okay, I'm excited in the Lord. Deuteronomy. Sorry about that. Deuteronomy, I say, no, this doesn't sound like what we want to read. I mean, Exodus, not Deuteronomy. Exodus chapter 19, verse 6. Now, I guess, I believe we're on the right spot. And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. And what? A holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. It was in God's mind in the past. It's in God's mind in the future. And here are you, not exactly in the middle, but close to the end. Being seen by God as royal priest, royalty for God. And beloved, I want to now bring your attention to the fact that the history of the Protestant Reformation, 
when it took place, when it began in the 16th century, it was quite not a coincidence or anything that took place by chance. In God's providence, that happened in the right time in God's timeline. Now, why talk about Protestant? Who are Protestants? This nation pride of being a Protestant nation. Although, if you Google again, how many Catholic Christians live in this nation, it's over 60 million. At least the ones who profess to do that. Now, why is this matter of Protestant important? Why is that anything uh, that should be considered? Because realize it or not, we as a nation have been experiencing a reversal of the Protestant Reformation. And you say, what? Yes. Have you heard of the term ecumenical movement? Oh, Carol and somebody else, an uh, amazing fact, put out a video there where Doug Batchelor speaks and comments on this evangelical preacher connected with the Pope in Rome. And they are all there in one page getting together. The ecumenical movement. That's all the ecumenical movement is all about. What are they saying? Let's not worry about our theological differences. Let's just come together and please everyone and not worry about these minor differences of opinion. That's the language. That's the attitude. You believe what you want and I'll believe what I want and we'll just get along well. That's the language there. We'll be fine. We'll be okay. That's just the opposite of what the reformers stood up for. If I understand correctly history, and I think you do too. They said, we will stand on the Bible and the Bible alone. Sola Scriptura was the Latin language they used then. We will stand on the Bible and the Bible only and take it as our rule of faith and practice and they were willing to die for it, and many of them did because of their commitment with Jesus. Ever hear or heard of the term being politically correct? I guess it's the same there. Everyone wants to please everybody. Let's not ruffle nobody's feathers. Let's not rock the boat. It's the language somewhere out there. Let's not offend anyone. Be careful what you say as to not hurt anyone's feelings. Hmm. Don't misunderstand me, brothers and sisters. We should be tactful, but not at the sake of compromising the word of God. Can someone say amen? What I am saying is that everything that Luther... Martin Luther, John Huss, John Wycliffe, and all the other reformers stood up for today is being disregarded. As you go to the book of Acts, you remember it, you know it by heart. You read about a vigorous church 
Yes, a church that was on fire for God. It was led directly by the Holy Spirit. A church filled, infilled with the Holy Spirit. But when it speaks of the church there in the book of Acts, it's not speaking of what we call church today. Two different things. Two different things. Yes, when we speak of church today, we often refer to a large building that has a steeple in front of it or on top of it, sometimes in front of it. That's what people understand, church. And they use that building once, sometimes, twice, perhaps. That's about it. That's what people call church today. They get there possibly twice a week. But in the early church, they did not meet, quote, on churches. They met on houses. You know that. It's in the Bible, Romans 16. The church that was there in the house of Priscilla and Aquila is just one of the examples of many of them. They met on houses by the riverside, any place where they could just get together. I don't know if they still do this in Africa. But in Africa, under a tree, because I did that in Guatemala, I met with people that it was a congregation under a tree more than once in my early ministry. So, beloved, this is what the early Christian church did back in those days. They met anywhere they could come together. And as the word of the gospel spread, so did the church, and it grew like wildfire. Yes, Satan was furious. He was mad. So he set about to persecute the church that you read about of there when you go to the book, Fox, uh, Book of Martyrs. You hear the stories there, remember? It was sad. Men and women, boys and girls, families were put in the Colosseum where they were torn asunder By wild beast. We've heard many of those stories. But for every drop of blood. That was spilt on behalf of our Lord Jesus Christ. Two or three unbelievers became Christians. For every drop. And that's just a way of saying. The devil again said this is not working. He was really furious now. Very angry. So he studied the situation. And he discovered the problem was that every believer then thought that he or she was a minister for God. That's why the title of our message today, The Priesthood of All Believers. So the devil, knowing that, seeing that they all understood, they all believed they were ministers of God, he said, I got to change this. So he began to influence some changes in the Christian church, the early Christian church. He discovered that some members of God's church stood above the others as leaders. So, number one, he influenced these leaders to wear different clothing than the rest of the church members to distinguish them and set them apart. Number two, he put up a railing. That will separate where the priest was in a higher place and everyone down there. Yes, put up a railing there to separate the leaders of the clergy from the common members. 
Number three, he began teaching in a language that only the educated, the clergy, or the king, princess, or the business people could understand, which was Latin. The common people could speak Latin. So, the word of God was spoken and a language people could understand. Number four, while celebrating the Lord's Supper, only the priest would take part from the cup, from the communion, from the fresh fruit of the wine, the grape juice, but the congregation only could participate of the wafer. Yes? Five. Soon, only the priests perform all the ministry in the church while everybody just sit down and observe and watch and applaud the priest all the good things he was doing in favor of the gospel. Can you see how devious Satan can be? Six. Monasteries were established to equip the priest for the ministry. Just them, not the body of Christ. But then came the Reformation, and men like Martin Luther and all the other reformers took the word of God and gave it to the people. And right there, Luther just quote from the word and said, The just shall live by faith, And faith alone. Yes. Number two. The word of God is sufficient for our doctrine and rule of faith. Not the dogmas of the church. Or the church councils. No. And of course. Then came in the verse every one of you know. Let's turn there very quickly. First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9. You know by heart this passage. First Peter, I'm sorry, First Peter chapter 2, verse 9. And the word of God reminds us what we've been reading already. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praise of him who call you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And let all the people of God say, Amen. God is calling you. He's calling me to do just that. It's very important that we're clear. You see, through the dark ages of the Christian church, many truths of God's word were abandoned or corrupted. One of those truths sent around baptism Now they said, we're just going to sprinkle the little head of the little baby. And that's when the infant baptism began there. That was wrong. We know what the Bible teaches about that. And there are several points. Number one, the mode of baptism needs to be by immersion. That's what the word means. Number two, baptism is an outward sign of the believer's renunciation of sin and acceptance of God's grace that if by His grace, He will be equipped to live a new life. Three, it must be a personal act of faith based upon the believer's decision. In other words, a person must be of sufficient age to make that decision of clear understanding of the gospel to follow Jesus. Not little two, three-month-old infant ones. 
But there is one more very important aspect of baptism that must be recognized, especially in the light of the Reformation theology. And that is what you read in Matthew chapter 3, verse 13, all the way down to chapter 4 and verse 1. It's the story of Jesus' baptism. And I want to point out the fact that when Jesus was baptized, two important things took place. Number one, the voice of God was heard. What was it said? This is my beloved son and whom I am well pleased. God affirm. God seal that moment with his own voice. Number two, in answer to Jesus' prayer, it was not during the baptism, but as soon as he came out of the water, in answer to Jesus' prayer, you can read it right there. The Gospel of Matthew makes it clear. In answer to Jesus' prayer, the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove manifested there. This is of no little significance. What do we learn from these passages there in Matthew chapter 3 up to verse chapter 4 verse 1? Now I am reminded that Jesus is to be our example in all things and his baptism is no exception. What does the dove in verse 16 represent? We know the Holy Spirit. Amen. The reception of the Holy Spirit, which enabled Jesus to perform all the works of power that God did through him. We're clear on that. Now, when we study Daniel chapter 9 and the 70 weeks there, when did Jesus begin his public ministry? Ah, there at the moment of his baptism, when did he become anointed, the anointed one? Ha, ah, precisely there at his baptism when he was in fill with the fullness of his Holy Spirit. Yes, the same is true about every believer who is baptized in the baptism of Christ. By joining to Christ in baptism, we are joined with him in the ministry of of salvation. But the devil wants to make you believe that that's only the pastor, the elders, possibly depending the deacons. Beloved, it's a trap from the enemy that wants to make you believe that it's only certain people. He had much success during the dark ages. But we're learning from the word of God that was not the case at the early Christian church. And it should not be the case today. Yes. When we are baptized in Christ, we become ministry, involved in ministry for Jesus. We all become ministers of the gospel. Thus, in Christian baptism, every believer is anointed to the gospel ministry for God. Second, we learn that the gift of the Holy Spirit was given to Jesus at his baptism. So it is with us too. When you were baptized, the New Testament makes it abundantly clear that baptism without the Holy Spirit is not baptiz baptism in the true expression, in the true sense of the word. 
If you turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 19, verse 1 through 7, it's the story when Paul encounters a group of disciples and he tells them, did you receive the Spirit when you were baptized? And they said, uh, hello, we never heard about the Holy Spirit. Well, what were you baptized in then? Well, we were baptized in John's baptism. And Paul says, okay, you got that one right. But did you receive the Spirit? Were you baptized with a baptism that the one after John would give with fire? The baptism of the Holy Spirit. We haven't heard about it. And Paul explained that to them and baptized them again. He posed his hands over his head and they received the Holy Spirit. We know by heart Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. We know there that go there ye for and make disciples of all nations, teaching them, baptizing them, making them into disciples of all the things that I have shown to you. My question to you, when you read Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, to whom are these words spoken? Were they spoken at a pastor's conference ministry meeting? No, we know that. They were spoken to all his disciples. Yes, to all of his disciples, both you and me. It was not at a seminary class that Jesus was having with only a small secret group. This is his farewell. And there's a great multitude there hearing Jesus and now seeing him ascended. And he tells them those words, go and make disciples of all the nations. Third point is that the gift of the Holy Spirit is given to each and every believer at baptism. It is given to guide, to ordain, and to enable the believer to participate in the ministry of Jesus Christ. Jesus had promised to be with us and equip us for service and ministry. You cannot do it. I cannot do it. But if you're baptized with the Holy Spirit, that's a different story. That's when the miracle takes place. He will equip you. He will ordain you. He will give you and bring to your memory all that you need to say for Jesus as you introduce men and women, boys and girls, to your loving Savior. Ephesians chapter 4. If you read there in verse 4, who are the ones that are called? Is it the ministers, the pastors, the clergy? No, it says they're the believers. In Ephesians chapter 4, you can turn there, first 5 and 6, the word who. It says you all. And Paul wasn't just talking with a southern draw. No, you all. No, he was not trying to do that. You all. Verse 7, everyone. Verse 8, unto man or mankind. But the point is, it was not the clergy. Verse 11. Why were these given? Why were those instructions? You find it in verse 12. The work of a pastor, teacher, is to equip the saints for the work of what? It says there, the ministry. And beloved, 
here's where I've come to the close of our message today. It has been presented to me, the messenger of God, through the pen of inspiration comes to us. It has been presented to me that all through North America, there are barren fields. What is the matter? The ministers are hovering over churches which know the truth already while thousands are perishing without Christ. If the proper instructions were given, if the proper methods were followed, every church member would do his work as a member of the body of Christ. They should be taught that unless they can stand alone without a pastor close to them, they need to be converted anew and baptized anew if needed. Review and Herald now, January 14, 1868. The greatest cause of our spiritual feebleness as people is the lack of real faith in spiritual gift. If they all receive this kind of testimony in full faith, they would put from them those things which displease God and would everywhere stand in union and in strength. And three-fourths of the ministerial labor now expanded to help the churches could then be spared to the work of raising up. Do not... Now, uh, this is another quote. Do not hoover over the churches to repeat over and over again the same truth to the people while the cities are left in ignorance and on labor for. One more. Some men have a special message from heaven. They are to be sent forth to waken the people, not to hoover over the churches to their own detriment and the hindrance of the work of God. It does a church no good to have two or three ministers waiting upon them. I've seen churches with five ministers. Oh, we have 500 members. We have a thousand members. We need five pastors. Says who? Yes. It does a church not no good to have two or three ministers waiting upon them. Were these ministers to go to labor for Those in darkness, their work would show some results. Let the experienced men at church take the young men who are preparing for ministry and go forth into new territory, proclaim the message warning. There has been altogether too much preaching in the church and not enough pains taken to educate those who have newly come to the faith to speak and to pray and learn how to serve the master. This kind of work is important than as frequent, frequent preaching. It is a mistake for the preacher to do all the speaking. He should do faithful labor to teach the people who have not had an experience to learn 
how to speak, how to give a Bible study, to learn how to pray in such a way that they may improve week by week. Instead of keeping the ministers at work for the churches that already know the truth, let the members of the church say to these laborers, Go, pastor, go work for souls that are perishing in darkness. We ourselves will carry forward the service of the church. We will keep up the meetings and by abiding in Christ will maintain spiritual life. We will work for souls that are about around us, our families, co-workers, and we will send our prayers and our financial gifts to sustain the laborers in more needy and destitute fields. I need to stop. I mean, can it be any more clear? We want a pastor. Says who? You all stand up and say, Pastor, get out of the pulpit and go and find new converts. We will take care of the church. We will abide in Christ. We will learn. When you come back, teach us how to do it. Beloved, last Sabbath, it was read the final reading. Brother Don Canaple read Final list, the final reading of the new office in the church. For some reason, we think that's the highest and most important service we can do for the Lord. God, have mercy on us. I have one question for you. And it's not my question. It's God's question. I'm going to ask our deacons to please just bring you a little piece of paper. And we will distribute those right now. This is the question God has for you and for me today. It's a very simple question. You can answer it today. I hope you do. And if you don't, take it home. Put it on the offering plate. Because this is the real deal. This is the question you need to let God speak to your heart. What is he calling you to do for him In his kingdom. That was the question we should have given out. Before nominations. You see. Because you could say. Oh I like to do pictures. I like to do the bulletin. I like to take care of the lights. That is not translated into souls for the kingdom. And would you please prayerfully consider this. I'm going to ask my dear three sisters to come to the platform and they will be singing where you prayerfully talk to God and consider how are you going to answer this question before God. What is He calling you as an individual? Not somebody else. Not what you want to do, you know, as a board member or as a deacon. No. What is God calling you to do For his work. I'll be the happiest minister on earth. To go and help you. To do just that. There are elders that can help you with you that. There are deacons. They're among you. Those who know how to do that. 
What is God asking you to do for Him in His work? Not among those who know the truth, but those who don't. That's going to be between you and God. But if you want to be part of this vibrant church that God wants to make here, we need to be asking the Spirit of the living God to move among you and my heart and be able to answer that question. God, what do you want me to do in your church with the gift you've given me? And if I haven't discovered it yet, I need to talk to somebody about it. You see, I'm just going to ask you one more thing before we sing our closing hymn this morning. Would you commit, by God's grace, to answer that question, whether today or tomorrow? Next Sabbath, I'm going to be in New London. But I pray that you will answer that. Put it on the level if you don't want anybody to see it. I do want to see it because I want to come and visit with you. And say, let's keep together. Let's pray together. Let's work together. Amen? If you're willing not to fill it up right now, but you're willing to answer it, would you stand with me, please? Dear Heavenly Father, by standing up, we're saying we don't have a clue of what's going on logically. But in the realm of the spiritual, the spiritual things need to be discerned spiritually. And we are not, I am not spiritual unless, like we just heard, we ask the Spirit of the living God to come mold 
Use me. Equip. Manifest Jesus in me and through me. No matter how much effort I try to put together, isn't going nowhere. But it's all about surrender so that Jesus can come and live His life in me and through me. This is going to be the most important people in this body of believers. Those who answer, what are you calling me, my brothers and sisters today, to do for you and for the salvation of souls? If for some reason any of my brothers and sisters don't have a clue, don't know what to do or say, Lord, thank you for your saving grace. Thank you for coming very close to them and making it clear to them. May they not reject your voice. May they not turn their back on your call. And as one body of believers, like the early Christian church, Father, we pray that in the month of July, the new Spanish church will begin in this building by your power. That's going to be just part of the first fruits of this new miracle you want to do in our midst. And Lord, only you can do this in our lives. Open our ears, our eyes and our hearts to follow your lead. Thank you for you being the guarantee of the intention manifested here by standing up. We cannot sustain this on our own. But you can. In us and through us. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Let's pray one more time. Dear Father, huh, it's very hard for me and I'm sure for many else too that you would take the risk of considering this group of individuals beginning with me as potential raw material for you to make a new creation in Jesus. It's the only way this miracle will happen and take place. I think I'm going to be surprised by some of my brothers and sisters as I shake their hands at the door. They will just hand it to me. I pray for those that feel so scared they don't know what to do. Praise you, Jesus, for that. They are scared to death. That's a sign the Spirit is working in their minds, in their hearts. Make it clear to them, Lord. Make it evident. It's not my job to tell them what they need to do. You speak to their hearts through your Holy Spirit. Make it evident. Make it clear. May they know that they heard your voice, that soft, still voice of your sweet spirit, like Elijah did. 
in that cave. And Father, seal us, baptize us with your Holy Spirit for salvation, for sanctification, for witness, for service, for Jesus. In his saving name, we all pray and say, Amen. Amen.